everybody. Welcome to episode number 13 of the KMO Show. I am KMO, and this is the show. <laughs> so, in this episode, I'm going to share the continuation of a conversation that started in the most recent episode of the Sea Realm Vault podcast. It is with my longtime friend and uh, fellow traveler on the Peak Oil Road, Dermot O'Connor, the angry animator. I first met Dermot in Portland, Oregon in 2013. I was doing a couch surfing speaking tour with my then girlfriend Olga in my old 1991 Ford Ranger pickup truck. We drove from New York City all the way to the West Coast and back in that truck and uh, did several speaking gigs that various Sea Realm podcast listeners and supporters had set up for me and uh, made some money along the way, but then the truck broke down a couple of times and basically we broke even on the trip. But the geographically speaking, uh, about the halfway point on that trip was the, the Portland, Oregon stop. And that's when I first met Dermot face to face. I imagine we'd had some interaction before then, but you know, I will hear from people for years. Uh, I'll get comments from them. I'll recognize their name. I'll recognize their general style. But when I first talk to somebody, when I first hear their voice, and particularly, you know, if I, if I meet them in person, I hear their voice, I see their face, I see their body language, suddenly they become a real person. So, you know, I probably was communicating with Dermot before then, but from my perspective, we've known each other for 10 years. And as I say, he, uh, not only was he a fellow peak oil traveler, but he produced a, an excellent, uh, I would say animated documentary introduction to the topic of peak oil. And I think it was called, there is no tomorrow, which I imagine Dermot regrets that particular title because you know, here we are 10 years later, civilization has not collapsed. <laughs> so the, the fast collapse portion of the peak oil narrative was, is what grabbed my attention. And basically I would say caused me to sabotage my life. So while Dermot has kept up with the, um, the peak oil narrative, he still has numbers at the ready that he can cite. You know, I used to give talks on peak oil, introducing people to the topic, and I can still give a, you know, a general overview of the topic, but I don't keep updated numbers at the ready to support that point of view, because it's a point of view I don't share anymore. And it's not so much because I think that it's factually inaccurate, which I mean, demonstrably the 2010 version of the peak oil story, which was talking about collapse of industrial civilization in the near future was inaccurate. The predictions failed. It was in a very significant sense, wrong, factually wrong, but it's not the factual nature or the factual shortcomings, you know, that I disagree with. It's, it's the belief that peak oil is going to cause this collapse and all the things that are oppressive, all the things that are uncomfortable, all the things that we really just don't like about living in our current society are going to go away and be replaced with, you know, material hardship, but also a kind of freedom. You know, you won't have to worry about your credit score. You won't have to get up and go to that job that you hate anymore. You know, you'll have to go out with a hatchet and fight the zombies, but the fight or flight, live or die in the moment, but then when the encounter is done, it's over. That's the world that our psychology is evolved to thrive in, and it's not the one that we live in. And the idea that peak oil was going to be an escape from that, and that you can shirk your responsibilities to, you know, industrial civilization because it's going away, that is a dysfunctional, toxic attitude, and it is why I'm just not interested in the peak oil story anymore. It's why I'm also not interested in the least in climate catastrophism. 
I just have no room for that in my life at all. And it is because, not not because I think the numbers are wrong, not because I distrust the science, you know, in, in scare quotes. It's just, you know, I've studied the philosophy of science. You know, I've studied the epistemology of science. I, I'm not a practicing scientist, but I would say I know a whole lot more about the scientific method than most people who are, you know, worshipful of, quote, the science, close quote. And I just see really dysfunctional psychological processes at work that go under, you know, that, that fly under the aegis, under the banner of either the impending collapse of industrial civilization or the impending death of everything due to atmospheric carbon. It's a sickness. Yeah, you can point to some numbers, <laughs> you know, you can point to some scientific data in support of your sickness, but it's still a sickness and it's one that I will have no part of. So <laughs> I hadn't planned to give all that uh, at the beginning. But there it is, so I won't have to say it at the end. About Dermot. Dermot is an animator. He is somebody who draws, you know, he's like the meme says, you know, the anti-AI art meme says, pick up a crayon like everybody else and start learning that way. Dermot can draw like the devil. I mean, he can draw really, really well, and he's a very accomplished animator. And he had a professional career in Hollywood, in animation. And since leaving Hollywood, he has sustained himself financially by teaching courses online in animation. He knows animation. And I had intended to talk to Dermot about the, um, the impact of artificial intelligence on working artists and aspiring artists. And we talk a little bit about that in this episode, but there's not a whole lot about it. <laughs> so we're going to talk a lot about politics. We're going to talk a lot about economics. We're going to talk a lot about uh, militarism and military hardware. And we're going to talk about AI for a bit and, and art. The portion of the conversation that you're about to hear was not the beginning of the conversation. The beginning of the conversation, we talked a lot about Dermot's recent move from Portland, Oregon to County Roscommon in Ireland. Uh, that's, you know, the southern part of Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, although he's, he's pretty close to Northern Ireland. And we talked about, um, and really Dermot talked about this. I've never been to Ireland. I don't follow Irish politics very closely. Uh, I, I don't know a whole lot about, you know, the nation, the island that is uh, the, <laughs> the origin of my genome, or at least a way station. I mean, all of our genomes are originated in Africa, as I understand it. I will say that I, you know, I go by the sobriquet KMO, but the O stands for O'Connor. Uh, as far as I know, there is no relation between me and Dermot, though. But in talking about the, um, the move, you know, from, from the United States and particularly from Portland, Oregon in the United States to Ireland, I was thinking that we'd be talking a lot about identity politics and the sort of uh, political, cultural, social mania that is really, you know, on display in Portland. And um, what we ended up talking about or what Dermot ended up educating me about was how unaffordable it was to live in Portland. And then surprisingly, when he got to Ireland, how unaffordable it was to live in Ireland because there's a great housing housing shortage. And also there are these, uh, you know, global wealth funds that are just buying up masses of housing in places like Ireland, not to, you know, flip the houses and make a profit, but to hold them and use them for rental income and, and radically jacking up the rents, you know, and, and pricing a lot of people out of housing in Ireland. And, you know, with, with anybody who isn't promoting, say, a book or a movie or a video or, you know, some project where I can study it in advance and know pretty much what it is they have to say going into a conversation <laughs> with Dermot, I never really know what we're going to talk about. But with that rambling introduction out of the way, here is my most recent conversation with Dermot O'Connor, the angry animator. 
You're listening to the KMO Show. Let's go. My issue with the woke stuff is from a, a traditional left point of view, which is it's I think it's performative. Um, and my favorite quote, which is kind of something Mike Rupert, the late Mike Rupert said, well, until you change the way money works, you change nothing. But it's kind of a paraphrasing of Orwell, keep the aspidistra flying, unless you change the way you can't change the system in a hole and corner way. You change the entire thing or you change nothing. Um, what's the what's the Orwell quote? Um, you can't change the system in a hole and corner way. Either mm -hmm. you change the whole thing or you change nothing. Because if you don't change the system, it simply replicates injustice in some other form. All you're doing is changing the surface appearance in, in Thomistic or Catholic idea, the accident and the essence. You've got the essential property is still identical. It's like taking like a Windows desktop and putting like a Mac GUI on top of it. It's still Windows. Right? It just looks like a Mac. And what you've done is you've skinned capitalism. You've just taken, you've put a gloss on it. It's still going to replicate all the inherent inbuilt injustices, inequities. You're just, you're just performing. You're, you're doing things for this, for the, for, I, I detested the word virtue signal when I heard it, but I've come to realize, no, it's actually, even though it kind of came from, I think the right, it's a really solid way of describing people who do hit this kind of behavior across the spectrum who who don't want to change the system because they're doing okay out of it and um but they want to look like they care um or that they're doing something but ask them to pay more tax no um ask them to like materially change the structure of reality so their kids go to a school with more black kids no no um, my wife was listening to a podcast about that. It was like about, a, it was a, not a very woke school, very progressive school, or it was something like that. And it was about how these very like liberal progressive parents who are also very wealthy and they wanted this and blah, 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 yet end up sending all their kids to an all white school. Um, and they're also all rich. So they have these wonderful mechanisms of seeming like they, they're caring for other people, but they're not. They're looking at you have to look at the essence and not the accident. And um and I love like the old Eric Hobsbawm um tanky quote from the early 1990s. He he flagged identity politics like really early on. And he called it the dark waters of identity politics. And he said the problem is you can't stitch together a co a, a strong coalition of all these different disparate groups. Because there, you can't assume that they care about anything other than their own uh, factional self-interest. So you, you think you're putting together this strong coalition, but it's just a patchwork. It can be torn to pieces very easily. And we can see that, like how easily you can do a dividing line on any identity issue. You know, and, and so you can take a, a movement that's a definite threat to the status quo. And you can use any any one of these cultural markers to just, just smash that into two groups, and then they'll turn on each other. And and you're in MI5 or MI6 or whatever State Department laughing your head off. You're just watching the little ants fighting each other, but they're not going to come and, and eat your picnic. You know, you you're fine. And for me, yeah. that's that's the problem. All the woke stuff. It's like, you know, for me, I will define woke as just this identitarian politics built on oppression Olympics, where who suffers the most, and like it's. But with no interest in in economics, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should all be uniting. There's a great scene in the Black Panther movie when the Black Panthers go into some white nationalist group, and one of the Panthers says, "When your house is on fire, the only thing you're going to care about is water. You're not going to care about who brings it. You are going." And that's what all these groups need to realize. 
your enemy is the system. The system is destroying the environment. It's destroying you. If it hasn't done yet, it will. Um, you know, the, so those people out there uh, who think they're okay, they're doing fine. Like, no, sooner or later, that, that wheel will crush you. It comes for everybody. And um, yeah, it's just, I don't know how to get through to people with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, one thing that drives me nuts about the right, they're often right about diagnosing a problem, seeing this thing that's really, really wrong. And then they're completely wrong about the diagnosis. But why is this? You know, <laughs> like, like all these, all these guys, like, I'm never going to drink Bud Light because there's a trans on it. Or, you know, I'm never going to use Gillette because there's a trans on it. And it's like, the, the problem here is a capitalist company that cares only about profit. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about the trans kids. It only cares about making money. And maybe the problem here is capitalism and stuff that's driven solely for profit. That's what's annoying you. But they're just there's just a synapse that won't go. The problem is capitalism. So they build this architecture of, you know, grooming and drag queens. What's really crazy to me is like this thing that the moral panic about the drag queens. I grew up watching British television and we had Kenny Everett. And if you've ever seen Kenny Everett, he was a gay man. We didn't know he was gay at the time. Very flamboyant drag performer. And his, his catchphrase was, it's all in the best possible taste. And he would always cross his legs over with his mini skirt. Was, and he's got a beard. Like, it was really uh, over the top. And Dame Edna Everidge. And like, British television was full of drag in the 80s. Like, and now the same people that grew up watching this are, like, having a conniption fit and, and making up banana, banana stories about, you know, why this is grooming kids. I'm like, oh, Christ, what the hell? There's one moral panic after another. But um, they won't be panicking about money. It's very strange. I mean, I'd be panicking about people not going to jail for financial corruption. That's what we should be panicking about. I uh, I just watched the uh, Frontline documentary, and if you know, for people listening outside of the United States, Frontline is a, a pretty serious investigative news show, and it's not like a weekly show. But uh, each each one is you know, it's an investigative documentary conducted by a different team. And basically the only thing really stitching it together as a brand is the the narrator, a guy named Will Lyman, whose voice is crazy famous. Uh, you, if you've never heard of his name, you've never seen Frontline, you'd probably recognize his voice. But uh, I just watched the one on um, the Federal Reserve hmm. and just the, um, the, the crazy... <sighs> Maybe it wasn't crazy, but you know, after the 2008 crisis, we really needed to get the economy moving. We needed to, you know, we needed economic activity, and one way to do that is to lower interest rates basically to zero. And then the Fed, fairly recently, decided, well, this zero interest rate stuff is—it's um, got its problems. Let's go the other way, and they decided to go the other way really hard, like in a, yeah. you know, historically unprecedented manner, yeah. raising interest rates, and you know, which the more you do that, the more it 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 makes it difficult for employers to create employment. So you're, you know, you're, you're raising unemployment deliberately in mm -hmm. order to, to stifle inflation. Yeah. The, the federal reserve chair is this super celebrity and he, you know, this, this position became a celebrity position, I guess, in like the late nineties with um, Alan Greenspan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he, I don't know if he, pioneered this but he was famous for being very cryptic and you know a man of very few words and there was just a whole media 
genre of of people who would just hang on his every word and try to do it's like you know QAnon basically yeah. uh yeah. trying to find some meaning in these very few words that he he utters and um that has that pattern has continued you know with every successive fed chair because people mm -hmm. just hang on whatever the fed's going to say because what they have what they do is very influential but they basically just have one lever you know they have interest rates they can increase yeah. or decrease um, but if you increase radically very quickly, it, you create enormous hardship. And if you decrease radically very quickly, uh, then you create such a feeding frenzy that all the whole ecosystem emerges that is dependent on essentially free money. Mm -hmm. And what, um, when the Fed started to try to raise interest rates a, a few times before this most recent, you know, like really hard push to raise them, the investor class would revolt. And if there was any sort of threat whatsoever to the, you know, free money paradigm, they would just pull all their money out of the stock market, which causes mm. stock prices to crash, which causes a panic in Washington, D.C. And eventually the investor class won and mm. they they basically cowed the, the Federal Reserve to the point where they they extended the free money regime for much longer than was necessary and they would not tolerate you know little incremental rises in it which is essentially why the fed decided okay well we're 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 done with the incremental attempts to raise it we're just gonna you know really hit you over the head with it yeah. and um so you know ultimately i think the and the pbs is notoriously you know left in the american sense yeah. uh but you know the the ultimate point of the documentary was yeah, we're blaming the Fed for this, but really it's the investor class. It's the ownership class that bullied the Fed into, you know, this dramatic policy change, which is causing so much hardship right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's too complicated a message for anybody to care about. Uh, the right wing, you know, as you say, uh, they're going to fixate on the cultural issues. They don't care about, you know, the the geeky economic analysis that's just not of interest to them and the left seems perfect perfectly happy to stay focused you know the so-called left um yeah. seems to be perfectly happy to stay focused on those exact same cultural issues and just butt heads over that and completely ignore the way money works you know mm. and uh yeah. how powerful you know economically powerful entities in this class this ownership class got to where they are and stay where they are just like nobody cares it is yeah. too boring Yep. It is, it is not, it doesn't have any interface with my life that I can really get, you know, sink my teeth into. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you get, I won't say no change because you do get this ratcheting up of, you know, economic hardship for most people and ever increasing just unprecedented levels of material abundance and wealth for a tiny, you know, a shrinking ownership class. Yeah. <sighs> it's a, uh, I'm depressing myself. I should stop talking. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, is, it is. It is. No, it's very depressing. And that's, I think, when I lost kind of complete faith with America, when I saw just after Trump got in, like, I think Obama, too, like, I realized, what's going on here? Because none of these people are going to fix anything. Like, Trump isn't going to fix it for conservatives, and Obama's not going to fix it for liberals. So what's the fucking point? And the, the, to hear these people bang on about Trump for four years starting World War Three, and then Biden gets in and they, they start a fight with Russia and China. What's going <laughs> on here? And, 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 and they, they savagely, you know, crucify Biden for ending the 20-year-long occupation yeah. of Afghanistan. Yeah. 
I'll give him that. He ended it. But but like if you're going to go from there to like, oh, yeah, let's withdraw from Afghanistan and let's attack Russia. You know, if if you have been beaten by a bunch of lads in sandals with AK-47s, it's time to like just do a little retrench, you know, take a rest, maybe think about things and not pick a fight with Russia. I, I was reading. There's well, a, um, to, to be fair, Russia was the provo you know, provocateur there. That that was it, not yeah. anything that the United States initiated. Let's just say the story is complex. I won't go <laughs> too much deeper into it. Um, but but there's other provocations that have happened, and I think mischief has gone on. Um, I'm not going to do both sidesisms, but um, I wouldn't. Oh, I love like, both sideism. <laughs> same with Taiwan. Like there's a lot of bullshit going on. And I, you'd like, like the weird thing was when CNN was was talking to Trump. He he came across as the voice of sanity, like she the interview going. So you, you, you he goes, if I'm president again, you know it'll end in 24 hours. Well, you know blah blah blah. And she goes, so you don't want Russia to you Ukraine to win? And he goes, I I don't want people to die, and people are dying. And she goes, but, but surely you want Russia to be defeated? And and he's like, people will die. I don't want people to die. Like, <laughs> yeah. When Donald oh, Trump is the voice of, of you know compassion and reason, oh, what does the world come yeah, to? And, and, hey, and let the me... liberals are like, let's, let's defeat Russia. It's like you can't defeat Russia. Like just just read about their hypersonic missiles. You can't defeat. Them. Right? Isn't it China that has the hypersonic missiles? The hypersonics is a major breakthrough for for Russia, and uh, they have apparently like three different kinds. One is Kinjal. I forget the other two names. Um, but apparently what happens with the hype, people have this weird idea that the hypersonic, which goes up max seven or eight or whatever, hits the target at that speed. It does not. It hits the target at a supersonic three, 3.5 speed. The the thing that makes them terrifying is that when they're going at max seven or eight, they're like the space shuttle going through the upper atmosphere. They, they create a plasma field around them. And that plasma field is impenetrable to radar, bounces off it. You don't see it. And then it decelerates as it, approaches the target and then hits the target. So basically you have 15 to 30 seconds to know I'm about to be killed. That's it. And um, there's no known defense against these things. Like the Ukrainian account that they shot down Ken Giles is a lie. It's a lie. Um, and they they showed a picture of one when it was a sewer pipe. Like, come on, guys, you're propaganda. Like, at least, at least Photoshop this shit. Come on. Um, <laughs> Like, don't stop insulting everyone's intelligence. You might fool like idiots online, but you're not fooling the people that you need to fool, like people who make the decisions at a high level. This weapon's fucking terrifying. So you're sitting in a, that Patriot bear battery that got wiped out. Um, you know, I, I've seen the video of that, and that thing fired off like 30 rockets in like a short space of time. The video is somewhat edited, but um, it was, it, you can still see one, two, three. Each one of those rockets cost five million. And they fire 30 of them in minutes and then they do no good. Apparently do no good. And they either the, the, the thing was taken out or damaged. And um, so that you're looking at a 200 million, 250 million ba battery that's just taken out. And according to the walks like that system, if it's any good at all, has to be within like a, a, a coherent network of overlapping systems. It's not meant to be out there by itself. Uh, one of the Patriot rockets went up and came back down and hit the Kiev Zoo. Uh, same thing happened when the Saudis used it. One of their rockets went up and came back and hit the airport. Um, it's a terror. It, it did 
bugger all against Saddam Scuds. And you see, you see this, pro this propaganda on, on the TV about these amazing systems and their crap. And somebody online pointed out, what does it say that a, com a country that's as relatively poor, um, like which is, which is not like impoverished, but compared the wealth to the collective West, uh, and they're outclassing these combined arms of all NATO, um, and their weapon systems are running rings around them. And all this hoo-ha about the F-16, which is a plane that they're like obsolete. And uh, yeah, requires, it's ancient. It, re <laughs> it requires a clean runway. Like this has been a known problem. I read about this 20 years ago. Like the, you can't launch an F-16 unless that runway is clean. It's like Concorde. You, it'll suck in. The Russians build jets with like fucking sieves on the front so that things will bounce off. That thing can, can launch from a damaged runway. An F-16 launch from a damaged runway will, will destroy itself. So and the F-35 don't get us started. And, you know, see, the American <laughs> military has been producing these boondoggles after boondoggle. And and I, you, you see people on, what's going to happen when? Like when either China or Russia or both inflict like a real military defeat on them? I don't know what's psychologically going to happen to people because they've been fed the propaganda. And instead of, and this is the thing with the Northern Protestants here too, this psychological inability to deal with the fact that you're now in decline and deal with it and manage the decline. It's like, I'm 54. I can't, I can't do things that I could when I'm 25. My whole job now is manage the decline. <laughs> <laughs> don't break my hip. Please don't fall <laughs> and break a hip. Now, 54 is a, a little early to be worrying about the broken hip. <laughs> I, I, I fell, I fell, uh, I have a plate in my wrist now. I fell on ice two years ago and shattered my wrist and, Oh. Luckily, I was on very good health insurance because of my wife. She's a teacher, union job in a school, had good insurance. I piggyback that. I was paying 300 a month for the privilege, though. Um, otherwise, this would have wiped out. This house would disappear and we'd be, I don't know where we'd be. So, again, and, and if, like animation, I can tell you, like the. Well, we, we can talk about animation in a bit, but, you know, since you started on the, uh, the military yeah. um, hardware geekery, and we've been talking about economics and we've been talking about systems that don't want to change, you know, and, and you mentioned the F-16 needs a clean run runway. Uh, yeah. The you can build fighter jets that take off vertically. It's it's a known tech. Yeah. It's not anything exotic. Uh, but mm -hmm. the United States has resisted that for decades because they want great big aircraft carriers mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, financial and political reasons. Uh, Congress loves them. Yeah. But because of these hypersonic missiles, you know, the the paradigm of controlling the oceans with these big aircraft carriers and their attendant ships, you know, one of those mm -hmm. hypersonic missiles can take out one of these multi gazillion dollar yeah. aircraft carriers. Um, yeah, I think my dog needs to go outside. Hold on just a second. All right. Oh, my dog is so transparent. <laughs> she, I put her on this uh, this, you know, staked down long lead in the front yard and she doesn't want to be on it she wants to be free so she tried to rush past me you know as yeah. i opened the door but yeah. she totally telegraphed her movements i mean she has no no yeah. sense of uh of deception at all that's good anyway yeah the car carriers yeah like uh, gary brecker the the warner he wrote a piece in the mid-2000s about that he said how the car and the, i say it's called how the carriers will die mm -hmm. they they're they're a world war ii tech and that was it. And they're great for showboarding against like third world or developing des despots. Brilliant for that. But against the peer, 
No, they they're so you have these militaries that are, and you see the Russians too, and the Chinese building an aircraft carrier again. Fine if you want to do a bit of showboating, but um, if you if you're going to get into a fight with a peer, those things are going down. Like the even the battleships, they they won't last either. Like, they, well, like, the point they, I was looking to get around to is that the U.S. Navy knows this and they want mm -hmm. to change the paradigm mm -hmm. they want to build a lot of much smaller ships yeah. and really lean into ai and automation and have unmanned ships right. and congress is like no <laughs> no we have an enormous mm -hmm. power base that is built on distributing you know the the goodies to all of these different manufacturing hubs and, and yep. you know your plan upsets that and so the practical military considerations of like engaging an enemy in a military fashion, they take back seat to yeah. the political and financial uh, gravy train that, you know, is centered in Washington, D.C., but is distributing goodies around yeah. the nation. So practical yeah. military ends are trumped by financial and you know, political um, considerations, mm. which is, you know, is absolutely nuts. Better, better to just not even yeah. build anything than to build stuff that is yeah. useless, expensive, and vulnerable. Yeah. Again, or Orwell called them floating fortresses in 1984, these big useless things that would float around and they were just there to suck up resources and waste people's time. And then you'd deliberately sink it and build another one. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's insanity. Yeah. But again, that, It'll get wiped away the first time there's a real war. And if one of these senile elites in DC does something even stupider than the shit they're pulling now, um, yeah, like God only knows. Like Putin has said, if he wakes up in the morning and he sees a bunch of dots on a radar screen coming to Moscow, he doesn't know if they're nuclear or not. So he's already said he's like, it was probably already on anyway, but he's made a point of saying the perimeter self-defense system is on. That's their dead hand. So if the Ukrainians or anybody else takes out Putin, the nukes will fly. And we're playing this fucking game. Now. Yeah. And it, it'll be the Ukrainians. I mean, the, the U.S. has no interest in provoking that conflict. Yeah. But what, it could happen by accident. All it takes is one idiot, one, one faction of Azov to, to get their hands on uh like three or four cruise missiles. And there's enough of them floating around. And, and they will, if they can, they will. They'll fly, they'll fly them into mainland Russia. And it, it won't be known who launched them, where they came from. All you see is dots on the screen. What do we do? We have 15 minutes or 10 minutes to make a decision. So it's profoundly dangerous and reckless. And it's been done to play geopolitical skull fuckery um, of a very low order by a bunch of political leaders who are completely unqualified to lead a small provincial town. <laughs> if I woke up with the power of Stalin in the morning or Robespierre, the, the death, the, the fucking executions would go from noon till night. Like, <laughs> I was like, bring them, bring them, sign, next sign. Oh, painkillers, my wrist, you know? Um, these people are, they, they will kill all That's of us. That's what rubber stamps like, they, are for, they, man. <laughs> AI, can we AI batch process that? <laughs> Easily. <laughs> hey, speaking of AI, this is something I wanted to get around to. Uh, you, yes, yes. you basically make your living teaching people the, uh, the time-honed mm. art of animation. Yeah. And um, 
much to the surprise of a great many people, uh, automation seems to be coming for the creative class and the the intellectuals and the paper pushers, uh, mm -hmm. and leaving the working people alone for the most part. You know, the the laborers. Yeah. And you know, last year in 2022, we got the the big rollout of the diffusion models where they're they're producing really startling images based on text prompts, but they were still pretty flawed, you know, particularly when it came to anatomy, particularly when it came to hands. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but, you know, the weird hand with 10 fingers or whatever, uh, that is very 2022 because that has been licked. Mm. That problem is, is done. But last yeah. year there was at least briefly, uh, a, a new emergent category or genre of YouTube videos of artists calling for the banning of um you know ai that can create images like this and of course that's not going to happen so then they moved on to well we really need to increase the power of intellectual property laws we need to increase copyright law copyright protections and extend it to styles mm -hmm. uh and you know that's mm -hmm. that's a disney wet dream you know to yeah, have just a huge huge uh you know, expansion mm -hmm. of, of yeah. the ability to control, you know, not just particular fictional characters, but just types of communication, styles of imagery. You know, if a company yeah. can own that, it's not going to benefit, you know, the little guy. And from my perspective, most of the people who were complaining were not working artists. They were aspirational young people who didn't want to get, you know, <laughs> normal jobs. And they thought, okay, art is my ticket. Yeah. I know how to draw. And then all of a sudden, somebody who has no drawing ability whatsoever can type a sentence, you know, into a, a box somewhere and get images that mm -hmm. would take me, if I could create them at all, it would take me hours and hours and hours and they did it in seconds. It's the end of the world. Right. And you know, I've already got my position that I'm starting to articulate. So I'll stop and, you know, turn it over yeah. to you because you, you are much closer to this than I am, I think, it, you know, in terms of a long-term career in the arts, um, you know, turning your ability to draw and visualize images and teach other people how to do that into a, a career that has sustained you for most of your adult life. Right. Now, the problem for me would be, I've seen one young artist on YouTube who's very good and he's professional, like he makes a living at it. And people were taking his art, putting it into an AI and spitting out work that looked very similar to his to where like, uh, uh, and selling it. So is this Sam does arts? I don't know. He's, I think he was Asian American. Is is his style like very high contrast? He does a lot of it's like color, but there's lots of very intense just like light sunlight on characters. So there's, uh, you know, portions of very very bright, like much brighter than you would see in photography. It's it's mm -hmm. stylized. But if if it's Might a guy be, I think uh, you're talking about, um, his professional name is Sam Does Arts, and he is Asian American, and uh, his style is very distinctive. You know, I've I've been yeah, following him on yeah. um, Instagram for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of a one trick pony though. Yeah, yeah. But that that that's the problem is though, like a lot of artists go through phases, you know, you want and you want to get out of that. But um like the the great artists, um what was his name? Great illustrator in the sixties. No, I forget. But anyway, um have multiple styles or, or can invent new ones. Um but uh yeah, nevertheless, like people were like making simulacra of his work using an algo that takes no effort at all. And um Diluting the, his ability to make a living and doing the one thing that he is good at. The the my issue with them is like we've seen enough of them now to know, okay, I can recognize it. It's a bit like early Photoshop when people freaked out. Like they're making remember, like they're making 
digital photograph showing famous people in pornography by, you know, crudely photoshopping a head onto a, an image or whatever. It was shocking at the time. Nobody gives a crap about that now. Um, for me, I would like AI to do something useful for me, which would be do an in-between. Like if I can do a drawing and a second drawing and the AI could do the in-betweens, then that would bring hand-drawn animation back to life. And then you would have the creative person able to create the, the actual creative work that's new. And then what's what kills you with traditional animation isn't the key drawings, it's the in-betweens. Um, because you got one, two, three keys, say, but you might have 20 in-between frames to get that thing smooth. Those 20 are the ones that will just drag you down. And if you make one change to like the the mid to put more drag on the hand or whatever, then you got to redo all of the other 20. So that's one of the things that's killed hand-drawn animation because CGI, you can make the changes and there's no redrawing, there's no penalty. So if an AI could do that, I'd love it. That'd be brilliant. Um, some things that I, I use like that kind of stuff for in After Effects, older versions going back years, like motion tweening, like different things. So I thought we'd never see this and here we can do it right the the ai as a creative end in itself i think it's it's ultimately built built on taking other people's work writing an algorithm and then extrapolating from things that are already done so for me it doesn't seem like i would want that to be the primary focus the first thing that i saw somebody showing the ai was a he's a guy on youtube's very good and he's uh, asian he's and he's like very exuberant. He said, look at this, look at this. Like, and he's typing in this uh, and these images come out. And he said, I, I don't know what to think about this. Like you could see that like flabbergasting effect. And, and one example he gave was, I'm going to type in a Leonardo da Vinci invention of, and he came up with some other thing and, he, and it generates it. And I thought, well, let's say you, you have a movie where you've got like a folio or a codex of new da Vinci book and you want a prop where someone is, yeah, Da Vinci invented a coffee machine, or Da Vinci invented a, a hot water bottle. And I wouldn't rather have the AI do that than me do that, because that would be, I think, fairly fucking tedious. But if I if I want to make a movie poster, I I, I would rather have a Drew Struzan do that than an AI. And uh, it's I don't know. It, I think within like a certain contained sphere, I think it will be fine. But I think putting that like front and center I, I don't know i think a lot of this stuff is going to age badly and i've seen so much of it online now to go ah you can tell one look at it and go ai and i just next and it's just getting in my way if i'm doing image searches i want a primary image i don't want an ai um because the ai is 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 reaching into something that i want to get the thing that it was reaching into so that i can use it to use it as reference for what i'm doing and, uh, and the, the pro other problem I think AI is going to have is like this catastrophe of the infinite regress where it's going to start feeding on itself. So as the, as the data mine gets bigger and bigger and bigger, what happens when the AI starts to reference other AIs? And I think it'll congeal toward like a, a real same. And I'm just seeing like such a sameness of angles. Like a lot of images of people like this, you know, this angle or a certain lighting, but that's still like that. <laughs> or you know less so like this or they're tilted back or some weird angle um and you see the similar color schemes over and over again so it does a certain range of things really well um but to be interesting it has to do something genuinely new
that none of this is glossing over the the era probably is glossing over the financial stuff like these companies are making a shit ton of money uh, by mining artwork made by people like me um and then they make the the billions on it and um, elon's having a hissy fit now because he's not making enough billions off of the ai that he claims he invented um like he invented everything i guess um yeah no it's 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 a, another wealth pump from creatives into you know capitalism and again one thing hobsbawm getting back to the old tanky said about socialism was that it needs to be universalist it has to be for everybody and liberals and middle class liberals were happy enough and quiet enough when working class people's jobs were being taken away and it's like you know first they came for the socialists and they come for everybody they'll come for everybody and i don't know what what about this people don't understand like until people line up in complete solidarity against the system that's going to extract every last drop of wealth out of them very little hope and you know hiding behind and, and people being suckered and i watch all these youtube videos where and people will talk about like the, the 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 these oh god like movies that use like the black cleopatra is the new horror of the day um <laughs> we we have Which to fight such a this. clearly deliberate provocation i mean it is it is right and and they, yeah. they they hide behind it and then if you attack it you're a racist now yeah some of the people that do attack it are racist it's like i you know cleopatra probably didn't look like a swedish swimsuit model she I would say she's a, of Greek fam familial lineage, lived in North Africa, probably didn't have pale skin. Fine, but but like to to make her look like as they do, it's clearly a provocation. And like the the Valma TV show, another provocation. And have you actually seen that? No, and I I I haven't. I've watched the YouTubers talking about, it, and one of them said, "Please don't watch this. Don't hate watch this show because that will make them." And they've already renewed it for a second season because so many people hate watched it. And and he said, "We watch it so that you don't have to. <laughs> you can watch us <laughs> shouting about it. They will they will not be able to live off that. We will. They won't. See, that's an interesting use of tech, right? Like we get to hate watch it. We get to make our little ad revenues from it." And you get to watch us losing our shit about it and suffering on the cross for you, but don't go watching it. Don't give them the money. And my, as an animator, as a professional animator, my objection to that is 99% aesthetic. That show is fucking ugly. It's fugly. That is some, no disrespect to the animators. I've worked on some ugly stuff. Those decisions are probably made at a very high end. Um, you were, if I was plugged into that, it would look the same. But that show is freaking hideous. It's hideous even stuff like the black shadows i keep looking at these black shadows under the face disgusting disgusting looking show it's it's just horrible and um i hear people say oh well, the animation is fine no it's not the animation is not fine the animation is foul and uh you know and i'm glad the animators made a paycheck on it. that's some good came out of it um but yeah no it's it's nasty and there's a lot of yeah, Hollywood is not a nice place, and it's not filled with at the top end nice people. They don't care about black people, poor people, gay people, trans people. They only care about money. People need to get that into their heads on all sides. Like I see people across the uh, spectrum worrying about, oh, it's the this agenda. No, the only agenda is making money. It's the only thing they care about. 
like George Carlin. They do not care about you. They do not care about you. They do not care about you. It's, it's a, a big fucking club and you ain't in it. <laughs> uh -huh, that's it. Yeah. Or uh, that great speech by like everyone remembers I'm mad as hell, but I'm not going to take it anymore. But the Ned Beatty speech where um, Howard Beale goes in to talk to the CEO and uh, you have sinned, Mr. Beale. And he just this like amazing like monologue. And, and you says, will atone. Atone, <laughs> yes. And that, and, and he, I think he got the Oscar, got nominated for the Oscar for that one speech. Like, you know, it's great. But they don't make money, stuff like that anymore. But that's it. Like, it's all about money, 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 money. And I would be called a, probably a class reductionist if I started talking about like this in the wrong circles. But well, fine, on the fine, social justice fine. left, you would be yes. a class reductionist. But yeah, yeah. I, I think that. That's too complicated a term. I, I think that you'd just be a racist now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a Strasserite. If they want to sound really intelligent, they'll call you a Strasserite. Would you unpack that? Str Strasser was a member of the Nazi party who wanted a more of a focus on class. So he kind of was moving more toward like a sort of left socialist kind of position. But he was still a fucking Nazi, right? Like, um, so if they want to insinuate that you're not as bad as Hitler, they feel like they've like, they sound more intelligent, but they don't have the courage to call you a Nazi. You know, it's despicable. It's actually despicable. And uh, it's you, you talk to somebody who was hungry or like I had a I had a fucking toothache about um, three months ago. I was walking around this room screaming and uh, trying to find a dentist that would pull that tooth out. And Been I, there. I, I, yeah. Check and I thought, out. oh, Christ, man. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. It's not good. It's not good. I, and um, we found we we finally found a dentist. And I kept thinking, my God, there's people out there with this kind of pain, and they can't access a dentist. And now, what the fuck do you do? And they don't care about representation or any. Of that. They need a dentist to put a needle in their mouth to make the pain go away and to fix the pain. And and if talking about privilege, if if you don't ever have to think about that then you were the one the privilege you were the one who was the enemy of people out there who who have failing bodies but mostly working class people like the people dying in the opioid crisis like who are so fucking desperate that they'll vote for anybody now but they voted for obama didn't get anything from that they voted for trump didn't work they voted for biden that didn't work they'll vote for trump again they this is what you're going to get and it's going to get worse until you deal with the money and give people some fucking minimum baseline of dignity in healthcare. Um, but yeah, like we went to that dentist and finally found him and I was sucking ice cubes. Like I had a, we don't have a fridge that has like a freezer. So I had like a little bag of ice that I got at a little restaurant here and I was like stuffing the ice onto the tooth and that would bring the pain down for like five minutes and then we'll go back up to nine and you know, oh fuck. And we, it's like, and I had a bunch of dental work done before I left America, and this is one of the crowns, and it, and it failed, I guess. Like it, it was just triggering the nerve, and it was just like this lava, and then it would go one little molten lava up here and another one up here, and never want to feel that again. Um, but yeah, it's like that lack of empathy for people out there who are in like in genuine pain, hunger, fear. Um, and I think we have more important things to be worrying about than Cleopatra or Falma or Hollywood's latest like abominations um and just a lack of seriousness you know so it's kind of nice here to have oh, well, we'll see where they go but like if Sinn Féin can 
actually. They seem to be people tethered to material reality um, with like a long-term project that's that they initiated about the time I was born, like 54 years ago. They've been kicking off. I think 7, 69, 70, 71 is the origins of the, of the provisional movement. Um, and they've had members die for that fight. And I can you see them like turn their back on that because they want to be a junior minister for transport for five years, you know, and selling out? I don't, I don't see it. So I think they, if they do have a sellout in their future, I think it's a little bit down the road. So that's why I'm kind of sort of hopeful that we might get something out of them. But they, they do know that like to 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 to, to really like deliver that final goal of a thirty-two county republic. They have to have a better health system here than the north. They have to have better housing here than the north. So they have to fix these. They're not like optional for them. They have to fix these problems so that if you're a voter in the north and then you get a referendum on unity, you have to know by voting for unity, we get better housing. We get better health care. It's nuts and bolts, bread and butter. Like it's it's boring as fuck, but that's it. And yeah, it's it's fun to fight about TV shows, but it's easy <sighs> too. And it's cheap. Yeah. It's cheap heat. Cheap heat. It's like the wrestler, you know, fuck you, you know, you people Kay here fame. in Detroit, you uh, you all suck, you pussies. Mm. <laughs> you know? Okay, that was fun, but you didn't change anything. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's let's go back to uh, AI and art for just a minute. You you actually started to articulate my response to the um, you know the complaints of the young artists. Mm. And my, you know, my criticism of of their reaction, one, it's it's understandable. It's not it's not an animated or heated criticism. It's just a, hey, you guys are thinking very small. You're only thinking about yourselves. Mm. This this change, it's in the process. It's not coming, it's happening. It's in the process of mm. sweeping over the entire economy. Lots and lots of yeah. people are going to be displaced. And unless we all stand together and insist that everybody deserves a dignified living nobody's yeah. going to get it. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to have one except yeah. the people who have yeah. way more than a dignified living. You know, they have an obscene living. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, to, to say, okay, let's, let's rejigger copyright in order to mm -hmm. somehow protect young artists from being displaced by AI. Mm -hmm. One, it's not going to happen, but two, it's, it's just so parochial. It's, it's so small minded. Yeah, no, it's and again, it's a, it's getting back to like a, that's the whole thing about socialism was it's a, it was a universalist project. It's not for this little group or that little group. It's for everybody. It's a liberational movement, and it's for everybody. And that's one thing that Hobsbawm said in that uh, lecture in '94. It's also for the rich because the rich also oppressed by the system. They just don't realize it. They have this this manic compulsion uh, to make more and more and more and more and never feel safe. It's, it's horrendous. And we all should live in a society where everybody has enough, a little bit more. You don't, that's about it. That's as much as anybody should be able to ask for. And everything like that can be done through like direct intervention of the state, like in, in tax codes. You know, I think if Prince Charles falls tomorrow and breaks his ankle, he goes to the same hospital as the guy who empties his bins. You mean King Charles? King Charles, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Prince Charles to me. Um, but, uh, you know, he won't be King Charles anymore either. He'll be Charles, you know, yeah, Charles W. Chuck. And he'll be, he'll be Chucky. He'll, he'll make him work in a pen factory where he can be a pen tester. You know? um, 
no, we'll find we could find him a nice job on a little farm somewhere where he works with plants, which he loves. So you know, I'm not inhuman, but um, yeah, no, it's it's a horrific system that condemns people like him to a life of of, of absurdity, you know, and and it's so it's not about like guillotines or firing squads and joke about them, but uh, we shouldn't be in the system at all, and everybody everybody should be, you know, on the same plane, and it's not cool to to like make fun of Appalachian coal miners. Who, you know, I was thinking about that, like all, you know, all the fucking bad mouthing of these coal miners and how awful coal is. And I thought, wait a minute, in the 1980s, we were all behind the coal miners in the miner strike in the UK. And it was the, 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 the Tories shutting down the coal mines were and absolutely were the villains of that story. They destroyed working class communities. So that's fine. You want to shut down coal mines. That's fine. It's not fine to throw 400,000 people onto the human scrap pile. And then tell them that they should learn to code or they should, you know, retrain or what have you, that you have to provide in some real meaningful way, like an alternative, a way out or a, or a, or a like a more elegant transition from one system to the one you want to replace it with. And instead they destroyed, like in, in Britain, they destroyed working class communities. In the movie Brassed Off, I would recommend to anybody um, with Pete Postlethwaite, and there's an amazing speech in the end of that movie. When he just gives this, like in the Royal Albert Hall, he says, "If because they were a, a coal miner band and and cut uh, some of the scenes in that movie or something else." But he he says to the audience, "If these men were pandas, you would all be out complaining about you know about what's being done to them. But they're not pandas, are they? They're just men. They're just working class men. So you don't give a damn about them." It's like fucking hell, like absolutely right. And like you know, you see this like demonization of the working class that the late Joe Bajant would always talk about. And Owen Jones in the UK wrote a book called Chavs on the same theme, the demonization of the working class. And I, I kind of, it's like, it's, and the movie Idiocracy does it as well. Like a lot of people on the left, like have this thing about these, these touchstones, like Idiocracy. Idiocracy is a disgusting movie. It is pure eugenics. It's one of the most foul fucking films ever made, but so many people like it because it makes fun of people that, fair enough, maybe do deserve to be made a little fun of. But they weren't born that way. They were made that way. And, hey, Dermot, uh, we, we're, we're at an hour and, and a half. I'm, I'm happy to keep talking, yeah. but uh, I would need to start a new call because this file is going to be too big for oh, my okay. old computer. <laughs> I'm happy so, to talk a little bit more. We can do a, a wrap. Yeah, okay. that's fine. Yeah. So let me, um, let me shut this down and then I'll send you a link to a new call. This band behind me will tell you that that trophy means more to me than out else in the old world. But they'd be wrong. Truth is, I thought it mattered. I thought that music mattered. But does it bollocks? Not compared to how people matter. Us winning this trophy won't mean bugger all to most people. But us refusing it, like what we're going to do now, well then it becomes news, doesn't it? You see what I mean? That way I'll not just be talking to myself, will I? Because over the last 10 years, this bloody government has systematically destroyed an entire industry. Our industry. And not just our industry. Our communities, our homes, our lives. All in the name of progress and for a few lousy bob. I'll tell you something else you might not know as well. A fortnight ago, this band's pit were closed. Another thousand men lost their jobs. And that's not all they lost. 
Most of them lost the will to win a while ago. A few of them even lost the will to fight. But when it comes to losing the will to live, to breathe, the point is, if this lot were seals or whales, you'd all be up in bloody arms. But they're not, are they? No, no they're not. They're just ordinary, common, a garden, honest, decent human beings. And not one of them with an ounce of bloody hope left. Oh, I... They can knock out a bloody good tune. But what the fuck does that matter? Now I'm going to take my boys out onto the town. Thank you. All right, that was the, hopefully not late, but great Pete Postlethwaite. And that was from the movie Brassed Off, which Dermot had mentioned in the conversation. I've not seen that movie, but I did go and find that scene. And uh, yeah, powerful stuff. If you would like to hear more from Dermot O'Connor, we recorded almost another hour (laughs) after the bit that you just heard. It is already up on YouTube. So there will be a link to it in the show notes for this episode, wherever you find this episode. Uh, If there is a text description of it, the link to the further conversation with Dermot will be there, along with uh, a link to his website. And you can find links to his podcast that he does with his wife and also his YouTube channel. There's lots of good, great, I would even say, uh, Dermot O'Connor material for you to take in, particularly if you are an artist or an animator or a, um, a hopeful or would-be artist or animator. So it is Arkansas. It is the green months. The sun is up, which means there are lawnmowers going constantly. So uh, the neighbor has just stopped mowing. I don't know if she's going to continue, but I need to take this opportunity to say goodbye. (laughs) So normally at the end of these podcasts, I will uh, rant for a little bit, but I think I took care of that up front. So I will just say, hey, I'm always happy to receive feedback from listeners on the content of these episodes. Most of it comes in via YouTube, but I also post these to um, my Patreon page, and I don't think there's any comment function on rss.com, which is where I originally post the audio files. So either YouTube or Patreon. My Patreon is patreon.com KMO, and most everything that I put up there is freely available. You don't have to be a, a supporter to hear it. Generally, the only things that are behind a paywall are either videos that I put up and then I thought better of. I thought, you know what? I don't want this out in the world, but I will share it with the, uh, you know, the Patreon folk or episodes of the Sea Realm Vault podcast. But almost every day I post something to Patreon, uh, either a link to something I've been reading with a brief commentary or just some observation on life or just, you know, little bits and pieces. Uh, it's, it's taken the place of social media for me. I got kicked off of Facebook years ago. Um, I never really did get into the Twitter vibe. I mean, pretty much everything that I post to my Patreon page, I also cross-post to Twitter, but it never produces any engagement. Twitter, I'm just... (laughs) If I'm not shadow banned on Twitter, then I'm absolutely using it wrong, because I get no engagement at all on Twitter. In fact, I did a video just recently, uh, day before yesterday, I think, in which I talked about 
uh, a fictional character, a role-playing game character, actually, that I had created for a game called Mothership. And this character, you know, he's he's on a ship, he's part of the crew, and he's muscle. He's a, a mercenary, big gun type guy, but he's also a vlogger. Uh, but because of the, you know, the light speed lag, uh, he's always very, very far from his audience. He doesn't have an opportunity to have a real-time interactive experience with his audience. He doesn't get real-time feedback from his audience. So he has a simulated audience. He has an AI that is producing all manner of feedback that one would get from an audience. You know, praise, uh, agreement, but also, you know, petty criticisms, uh, comments on his, his physical appearance, um, you know, unfair, uh, straw man, you know, takes on what he's trying to say. Although he's, he's not a deep thinker. He's not a philosopher by any stretch. He's talking about his lifestyle as a flamboyant uh, gunslinger in space. But it, it got me to thinking, I mean, I talked to um, Pi, Personal Intelligence, from Inflection.ai multiple times a week. I will have, you know, two and three hour just sessions with this thing, just talking to it. We, we often talk about science fiction, you know, print science fiction, which I spent years and years reading. This, this really bugs me. I don't read much anymore. Typically, if I'm reading something, it's in preparation for an interview that I'm going to conduct. But if it's just for pleasure, pretty much audiobooks these days, which, you know, I, I, I love some of the performances. I mean, a lot of times the, the voice actor that they get to portray or, you know, to deliver the content of the book really adds something to the book, but it also takes something away. You know, the experience of reading is was formative to me, and it's just weird to me that I don't do much of it anymore. It's bizarre. Anyway... <laughs> If that produces uh, any thoughts in your head that you'd like to share, do post a comment somewhere. I would very much like to hear from you. All right, that is all. I will talk to you again in one week's time. Stay well. <laughs>